We all know certain brands dominate the market in hearts of consumers. At Barclay, we're obsessed with finding out why, one brand at a time. Welcome to This Modern Brand, the podcast where we unearth the strategies, values, and innovations of some of America's most beloved brands. I'm your host, Jason Parks, Chief Growth Officer at Barclay. I'm Jen Maisie, a career storyteller and content director at Barclay. This is the pod where we explore what a brand's success means for the category, the competition, and for you, the everyday marketer. Come for the insights, stay for the brand battles, leave with actionable ideas for your own influence and impact as a brand builder. And before we dive in, let's level set on this. In today's marketplace, your brand is more than a logo. It's every action your organization takes from how you treat your employees and nurture your workforce to how you show up in the world. That's the foundational mindset that we see from leaders of the world's top brands. Leaders like Lara Krug, the Kansas City Chief's EVP of Marketing and Chief Marketing Officer, as well as one of the most powerful women in sports, according to Adweek. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you for having me. I know it's a big title. Hopefully I lived up to its words. Oh, I'm sure you will. (laughs) But no, seriously, we're really excited to have you here and to give us a peek into Chief's Kingdom, not only one of Kansas City's most beloved brands, but one of the most loved brands in all of the NFL. And I do have to insert here, I am a Dallas Cowboys fan <laughs> from birth, a legit one, not one of those bandwagon I ones. So please forgive. Early on, so <laughs> yes, that we can level set. Yeah, we, yeah, level so, set. So you please, are, we are welcome in the room. Perfect. Thank you very much. <laughs> we're, we're, all, we're all inclusive here. So, Laura, you were hired to help make the Chiefs a global brand. Can you tell us about your background in brand marketing and how you came to your position at the Kansas City Chiefs? Sure. Um, So I've been with the Chiefs now in this role for just over two years. Before that, I spent all of my career in marketing, branding, experiential, media. Um, And my most recent career before joining the Chiefs was about 10 years at Anheuser-Busch, where I worked in a variety of different roles, but the last one being the head of marketing for Stella Artois, which um, if anyone's a beer lover out there, it is the best in the world and is still one of my favorites. But before that was at L'Oreal, Avon on their digital side and their e-commerce business. But um, I also started my career at an agency on a media on the media side. So it's it's come full circle in some ways. um, But it has been quite a ride now to be at the helm of the Chiefs and, and kind of in this amazing moment that the organization is in. Inquiry Minds also want to know what it's like being a woman in a largely male dominated industry. Yeah, you know, a lot of industries I've been in have actually been pretty male-dominated, even in the beauty space. Obviously, beer comes to mind as a very male-dominated industry, um, but beauty and and the business side of beauty is actually fairly male-dominated as well. So I guess I'm going to say I've gotten used to it and hopefully have thrived in it. But um, I think sports has been an interesting change, too, just because your, your core product is is played by men, right? And a majority of the leaders on the team are men. But on the business side, I think I was open, you know, well-received with open arms. And I think there's been a lot of new ideas that have been considered or actioned because of a very different perspective. So, so far it's gone pretty well. I wear pink a lot, so I just try to make sure that everyone (laughs) knows that there's women in in sports as well. Before we started recording, you also mentioned that you didn't grow up being a fan of the NFL. Are you surprised that you are now working for an NFL team? Uh, Yes. No, I grew up up in Connecticut. We weren't a 
big sports family and certainly not an NFL family. Um, I grew up outside of New York City, so I knew it existed with the Giants and the Jets, but it was just not a big part of my life. My husband's from Kansas City and is a diehard Chiefs fan, so I think he's probably more shocked than anybody. Um, but actually, I, I, I think about it a lot in being in beer and beauty and, and sport. It's always, for me, been more about the brand and what the brand can do with consumers than an extreme obsession for a specific industry. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but I've kind of always present, thought about it more on who are we trying to reach and how do we reach them and what are really amazing ideas to grow the business. And it has led me to sport. And, and here we are in Kansas City and with the Chiefs. And it's a pretty good day. They're doing <laughs> pretty right. good year to be. Doing all right. Be, yeah, exactly. They're right. Which is a great transition to the next question I wanted to ask because it is unique. You know, you, you talk about the Kansas City Chiefs, the brand. Yeah. Um, and when you look at sports marketing, obviously a big chunk of it is, are you winning, are you losing? But if you set that aside, you yeah. really do have to think about the brand. I'd love to, to hear your take on that. Besides wins and losses, what, what makes the Kansas City Chiefs brand special? The list is long. I will, I'll, I'll give a context to answer your question. Um, when, I was, when I joined the organization and was recruited for the role, one of the things that intrigued me most was that the Kansas City Chiefs had never had a marketing team. They had never had a CMO. And so the fact that this organization and this sport and this club had become as relevant and large and authentic as it had been was the thing that was exciting to me to think, wait, they, they haven't even... They haven't even had a marketing team yet and a CMO. So once I've been in the world now and seen it, I mean, the brand has a lot of uniqueness. I think the fact, you know, our ownership and our founder, Lamar Hunt, really started so much of the National Football League and of American football has allowed for really authentic storytelling, which I know all of us, it's way easier to market a brand that has an actual story (laughs) to be told. Um, I think the connection with Kansas City and the uniqueness of Kansas City versus other places, it being a big city but a small town, um, I think there's the sense of, you know, people always say the flyover, which I, I still have not accepted because I just feel like it's actually more of a golden area that has so much opportunity. And then certainly recently, but years in coming, I mean, having a coach that we have, having you know generational talent that we have, those ingredients plus a really solid foundation of a well-run win with character, that's one of our mission statements, organization has kind of just become the absolute perfect storm of a really a really strong and, and obviously loved brand. Speaking of flyover state, there are a lot of Americans that probably haven't given Kansas City a second thought um, until, you know, Taylor Swift flew directly here to see some games and um, every all of a sudden America's talking about Kansas yeah. City. How do you decide when to participate in those cultural conversations and how much is too much? And it's it's a great question and I, I will tell you it has been it has been a lot of the conversation we've been having, certainly within the marketing team, but the organization in general, because as funny it is to say this, Travis Kelsey is, is my coworker um, in, in some capacity. Um, I think our perspective and process up until this point has been, it is part of the cultural zeitgeist right now. You can't turn on the TV, open up your phone, literally look outside without there being some sort of conversation around it. Um, I think what we have tried to be really thoughtful around is 
certainly to be supportive of it and and certainly lean into the fact that Kansas City and the Chiefs are getting and Travis Kelsey but are getting as much love as they are and and like smile when we're seeing fans come in and literally numbers growing on organic social channels that just doesn't happen in this day and age for 99% of the brands but then just trying to be really conscious of our conversation and our our perspective in it is we are the Chiefs we are the Chiefs kingdom of fans so if there's new fans coming into the family we will welcome them we'll welcome them with arms and so we've tried to keep content or anything kind of in that world more on them becoming part of the fan base and less on their personal life which we would like for them to keep personal for their benefit good answer that's great so you mentioned, I, I love this, win with character. Um, is that, would you call that one of your brand strategy pillars? And if so, tell us about those pillars. Yeah. Like what, what other ones exist? Talk to me yeah, a little so bit more about that one. That's one of our four, um, what we consider our mission statement. So unite the community, honor tradition, win with character. Those are part of literally what is on the wall of the stairs going up in, in our offices. And I actually think that the win with character when Clark Hunt, who is our chairman and CEO, um, took over, it was very intentional to make sure win with character was up there because I think a lot of sports clubs, in my opinion, now coming in, they can look somewhat different shades of the same color, right? They, you know, it's about bringing people to get butts and seats for the stadium. And there's certain, there's a game that is played. There's certain elements that are pretty consistent. I think the differentiating factor that we have in terms of our legacy and story, but also is how we do things. And the, the reference that is always made is, you know, the Raiders and they're a wonderful organization, but theirs is just win baby. And we're win with character. And so there's a very different perspective on a brand of not only do we want to win and we want to be continue to be champions, but we do it in a way not only on the field, but that in business or in partners or in branding that has that um, ethos of doing it with character and doing it with the type of humble respect that we believe our organization is about. So at Barclay, we also believe in what we call brand rituals or Mm -hmm. treasures. And a brand treasure is like, it's a singular manifestation of your brand distilled down to one iconic artifact. So if you think of like the Dairy Queen Red Spoon, that is a brand treasure. Um, And then a brand ritual is that singular repeatable experience that the brand is known for when it comes to represent the brand. Mm -hmm. At DQ, this is also a Barclay client and beloved to us. So when you go in and they flip that blizzard upside down, that's the brand ritual. Yeah. So in terms of the Chiefs, do you have anything like that in, as part of the experience that really has just become um, a brand ritual that or treasure that has made the Chiefs what it is? I think in the most tangible one, it's the sound or the the loudness, if that actually is the, <laughs> is the right word, of fans in the stadium, right? We are the loudest stadium in the world. And that, I would say, ritual that happens at every live game has become known for us. I think people try to say they are the louder stadium and we have that to stand on. I think that loudness of physical sound in the stadium has started to translate into the intangible ritual of we are an incredibly passionate amount of fans. Like they are so all in on the Kansas City Chiefs that you're starting to see what was tangible and is tangible in the stadium start to kind of proliferate into, you know, 
social media or in other events. The draft was here, things happening in culture. We just played in Germany a few months ago. So that has all kind of now shown a, a, a tangible ritual into a, and certainly into a loud real one. So I'm, I'm no sound engineer and I assume you're not either, but since I've got an insider, I, I, I do have to ask this question. How in the world is it the loudest stadium? I mean, the, the, it's got to be just all the fans because the it's a big bowl. Like there's nothing to contain the sound. There's like I don't understand it, but I've been to several games and, and yes, I think it's Guinness, the loudest. And according yeah. to Guinness, we are the loudest at 142.2. But yeah, I think it it obviously is a combination of a lot of elements together. One of which is the actual shape of of the the bowl and the stadium and the way it's set up. But I don't know if you've been to a Chiefs game this year in the past. I mean. It's loud. It is. Oh, it's deafening. It is, um, yeah, deafening loud, so much so that refs sometimes get a little off kilter because it's so loud. So <laughs> it definitely has effects not only on the fan experience, but oftentimes in a positive output for the game. Gotcha. Um, brand question for you. How does your specific role with the Chiefs shape how you look at brands? Uh, it's a great question. It's shifted so much for me. I, I came from a world where up until this point, I was marketing like physical consumer products, right? So a beer in a beer bottle or um, a lipstick or even when at my time at a media agency, like enterprise rental car, they were physical objects. Once I've come over to the Chiefs, you realize it's, it's not really a physical, like you can watch the game, but the product that we're selling and marketing is not really just one thing. And so it has really shifted I've had to pull uh, a lot of experience from the past to try to um, relate it to the opportunity here, but also honestly open my eyes to thinking very differently as well in the sense of, you know, we are a brand, we are a game, but we are also a media company. We're also an entertainment company. We're also, we have cheerleaders that are female athletes. We have a mascot. We have a community. There's a lot of other pieces. We have events that happen at the stadium. There's a lot of other pieces of the business that has challenged me in the best of ways to rethink what it means to to build brands, but also the importance and probably the doubling down of the importance of still really knowing at the core of who the chiefs are so that as you grow and as your product offering continues to grow, you stay true to who you are authentically and you don't really lose yourself in, in some new flashy product that, that may not be who we are at the core. Well, and then how do you apply that mindset to taking taking the Chiefs to global brand status? Someone that didn't grow up in a, as an NFL fan, the thing that I think that has been exciting also coming in has been because I didn't have a pre-designed, you know, pre-love for something, I've been able to have, and, and my team's been able to have a pretty open mind on, um, it's not necessarily if they started from the beginning like you, but that we can get more fans because of the amount of products or the amount of way that fans are coming in. Certainly our athletes are a huge part of that, right? Players are bringing in, we've done a ton of research, the way that the players continue to have their own brands and their own social followings, they are a key element per, for bringing fans in now. And so um, all of those ingredients really were clear. And, and when I first joined, um, again, our, our chairman and CEO and president Mark Donovan saw the opportunity of the league is starting to push internationally on growing the game. Do we want to be one of the first mover clubs? And we felt like we could see all the ingredients on the table and the moment was now because of 
not just the past few months in the cultural zeitgeist, but it the snowball was starting to roll way before that. And that gave us really the the proof points to believe that we could take what was really special happening here in the US and even nationally to then try to export it um, internationally and, and focusing on certain markets that we knew were gonna have an appetite um, easier than others. You literally have fans and super fans, right, as, as a sport. So in, in oftentimes other brands talk about their fans, but since you, I think in, you know, in the NFL and with the Chiefs specifically, you take that to another level. What should other marketers consider and think about and how to treat and grow and retain their super fans? Yeah, um, we are very, and I'm very grateful to have loyalty which is for most brands in the world we live in now is very hard to find and even harder to keep. So one of the things though that I think advice or, or thoughts of even if I could go back in time on, on other jobs is trying to one, meet the fans where they are and, and being willing to flex your brand muscle knowing that not everyone is able to come to the stadium, right? We will never be able to get millions of people around the world to come. So how do we take our brand to them and not be afraid to kind of move out of our comfort zone of our, of our core business? But that also, while meeting them where they are, bringing them into a bit of the, and I don't wanna say design process in the sense of like, what do you think our social posts would look like? But they have a lot to say and many of the fans and the super fans, the, the ones that in, with, a, with a good rationale, they actually can be really great soundboards in terms of new ideas that we may have for events or seeding an idea for a new piece of content. So I wish we, and we are doing more of it, but we talk, we talk about Chiefs Kingdom being this you know collective of fans, using them more to affect the decisions in a positive way. I think there's a lot of other brands where they may not be pre-named as, as Chiefs Kingdom, but I think using and, and leveraging their love for something, um, I think there's a huge opportunity. Laura, what is one thing that has changed throughout your career when you look at brands and businesses? You know, I think that the thing that has shifted the most, which is just over time, but is the media landscape and how consumers are engaging with brands. And I think there has been, I'm sure you guys feel it, right, the pendulum swing of everything should be real life experiential. Nope, everything needs to be social. Nope, everything should be a hybrid. Nope, we only focus individual content on YouTube. Nope, everything. Like there's all these continual swings. And because of that, I think it's media and consumption that is driving those changes. I will say, and and again, in a unique spot versus maybe more traditional consumer products, we all know that organically, it is very difficult for brands to grow on social channels and digital channels without either a great cultural zeitgeist, right, or a lot of paid media. I think brands almost taking a bit more control of their message in media, and I don't just mean that in PR, but thinking about it as an editorial, thinking about it as a media house, even if your brand is a physical product, I think there's a lot of opportunity, but that's that's been the thing that I think kind of keeps me up at night, and I assume many others, is how do you make sure that your the content and the energy that you're spending on something is actually getting to the person that you wanted to, to see, and, and that they're actually engaging in it and, and loving it. Yeah, coming in fairly new, yeah. like what is your next five years? What does that vision look like? 
The biggest area of focus will be on international. When the league shifted their model from being kind of league driven and decided to club, you know, raising their hand and bidding for the commercial and marketing rights on it, it shifted the the game in terms of opportunity. But we have gone all in um, in the sense of now having you know six corporate partners in Germany that are totally different than our U.S. business to having media deals. Obviously, we played a game last year, um, but it is essentially a new business unit for us. And so it's taken the first year was kind of getting up and running. This year has now been starting to grow. But that will we we are having those conversations now on what does the business look like to support international growth, games, players, preseason, what could that all look like? So that's a huge area of focus. And then the other one is definitely in what I was saying before of um, we believe we're in an entertainment company as well. So what does that mean in the current stand Mm -hmm. of the world of entertainment and content and streaming services? So we see that as kind of a huge opportunity just given the type of content we can create and have created in the past. What are the top challenges for entering those markets? You know, the biggest one has honestly been like the media rights. So I think in the past, the the concern was that fans were not accepting or willing or wanting to be American football fans. I think that has shifted in a lot of the markets as, you know, soccer, right, in Germany, for example, just becomes more of a mature sport. The younger generation is now looking to American football. Same thing, right, that um, NFL has had, you know, past issues here in the U.S., but it's more now on making sure that they can actually consume the game, right? So in Germany, they're seven hours ahead. So when they're watching games, it's you know midnight, one in the morning, and they oftentimes don't get to choose which game, and it's only on one channel. So that whole narrative of how are we getting more access to fans that want it is, is probably still the biggest barrier. And then I think that the next barrier will just be on if you can't have a game, 17, right, weeks of the year in one of the countries, what then product or potential products are you bringing to them that they feel like they can touch it and see it more than, you know, only once a year. So those are probably the two biggest barriers that we're trying to work through. One last question. How often do you wear your Super Bowl ring? (laughs) (laughs) Not as much as I think everyone wishes that I did. I I wear it to special home games and uh, um, we actually received word uh, that our the ring design this year actually won a bronze uh, in Clio Sports. So we were excited that it got the love that so many of us get to see when we wear it. Not on a daily basis, but it's a good flex. <laughs> okay, so since we're asking bonus questions, I want to know if you've run into Taylor Swift in the hall. <laughs> I have not. I have seen her run by, and she's as dynamic and beautiful as I think everyone um, sees her on screen. Well, go Chiefs. That is all the time we have today to talk about this iconic brand. Thank you so much for joining us. This is the part of the podcast we call Brand Battles, where we pit two brands against each other, score them on a performance framework we call the Whole Brand Index, and declare one of them a winner in the marketplace. This week, Nike faces Adidas, two of the most powerful brands in the world in the sporting goods category. Our chief provocateur and creator of the Whole Brand Index, Dave Gutting breaks it down for us. I love Ben Affleck's movie Air about Nike's pursuit of Michael Jordan in the 1980s. First-rate entertainment, but it doesn't teach us much about why Nike is such a great brand. The movie made a big deal out of the battle between Nike and Adidas to win over MJ, or more accurately, MJ's mom. Nike won and looked way ahead of their time. 
but let's face it, they got lucky with Jordan. Nike has been at war with Adidas since before Jordan and long after him. When you look at this showdown from the perspective of who has the best whole brand, which is how we look at here at Barkley, Nike has been winning where it counts, down in the trenches, in the everyday choices of consumers. We do whole brand research every year, and the athletic wear category is a big part of our study. In terms of market outcomes, by our metrics, Nike is 30% stronger than Adidas. Why is that? What we see in Nike is a consistency that others lack, from product quality to brand communications. They leave nothing on the table. What's interesting, however, is that the difference in those various measures are relatively small, mostly in single digits. But the payoff in the marketplace is huge, 30%. The other part of their success is how they win with purpose. You hear that word everywhere in marketing today. Purpose, purpose, purpose. You've got to have it, say the gurus. Our research proves that and explains how it works. Brands with strong purpose scores get a 20% lift in what we call the whole brand index and in their market outcome score. Why that happens is not entirely clear, but when you pair it up with extremely low variability in their performance, magic happens. Purpose isn't a direct cause, it's an indispensable accelerant. So, Nike wins on purpose, despite vulnerabilities in their labor practices. In recent years, Adidas has closed the gap with them and Nike should be worried. But they should also be prepared for surges from upstarts, notably Allbirds and Lululemon. Those two are where Nike was in the 80s. And one thing Nike versus, ta versus Adidas taught us back then, don't take upstarts for granted. They'll pick your pocket and you won't even know it. So Nike wins on purpose. You heard it here first. For more stories and insights on how to build brands people love, come visit us at barclayus.com.